There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. So I'm Annabelle, and during the week I'm part of the team that puts together the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature, which is our big news today. It's back in town the 4th to the 9th of February, and we are so excited because the authors have been announced and tickets have gone on sale at EmiratesLitFest.com. Co-hosting with me is Isabel Abelhul, CEO and trustee at the Emirates Literature Foundation. So that's why we are walking on air today. It is. It was so exciting. Uh, the theme for 2020 is tomorrow, and my goodness... Tomorrow was rolled out uh, when we launched uh, uh, last week. And what was so exciting was to hear the visible gasps, cheers. um, uh, The audience there absolutely bought into it. And one of the things that tomorrow does to all of us, it makes us ask the big questions. And that's a huge feature of next year's programme. It is all about those big questions. And No one is promising you're going to find all the answers there, but it's the start of that journey. First of all, ask the big question and then see what you personally can do about answering it. There was uh, an opportunity after the launch as well for people to write down questions that they wanted the festival to answer next February. Then everybody put together really exciting, interesting, intelligent questions. And the only thing I could think of was what's for dinner. That's a very, that is the most important question. And the Literature Festival does answer that too. It does, it does, because we've got Bosch, the vegan uh, uh, pair, who will be coming and we'll have a vegan supper club. And um, I had the privilege of meeting them um, a bit earlier this year. And they are the most incredible, energetic, um, enlivening. And we had a really good foodie conversation about how I could produce some of my favourite meals in a vegan in a vegan recipe and they had all the answers and they are self-taught and that's what I love about them because most good cooks are self-taught I'm sorry that you tend to make lots of mistakes but you learn what works and they they really are adorable so I'm going to certainly be at the vegan uh, supper club so what's for dinner it's the vegan supper club which is on Friday the 7th of February there we go um, and it's obviously in the evening because it's a supper club it's not at the morning so uh, I think that's easy but it was all those kind of things and listeners out there please if you've got any big questions that you think we should be asking at the 2020 Emirates uh, Airline Festival of Literature please text in to 4001 put your question put your name or use the Dubai app which is free is that right Annabelle did I get that you, all right you, you did actually oh, well gosh. done yeah, you'll, you'll get some prizes at the end of the show. OK, maybe dinner. Maybe dinner. Um, so I just want to introduce two more wonderful guests that we have in the studio today. So we have the wonderful Flora Reese, who jumped in a couple of moments earlier. She is the head of programming at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. So today is a very exciting day for it her. It is, and I'm really pleased to be here because it's, it's, as you say, very exciting to have finally launched the lineup of the authors of the festival that we've been working on for the last how, how many months? I can't even count. Um, and to have had the reaction we've had so far from the names is just fantastic. So thank you for having me on. The relief. Yes. The relief that we can actually talk about these things without worrying that we're going to let anything slip that we shouldn't. Um, I'd also like to introduce Alex Brune, who is an award-winning Australian playwright and screenwriter, also one of Dubai's leading theatre directors and acting teachers. And he's also going to be involved in the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature with one very special event that we will get to later. I'm just going to tease that. We'll come back to it, though. Um, also, Studio Republic. I know that you're you're there at the moment as well. Yes, you're I'm to, the head of your, drama there at Studio head Republic. Head of drama yeah. at Studio Republic. 
So Desert Stands is something that I'd like to talk about. I think we'll start with some of the sparkly events, some of our special events. Desert Stands, this is quite close to your heart, I know, Isabel. So do you want to kick off with talking about what is Desert Mm -hmm. Stands and why is it so special? It's so special because I think it is unique to all literary festivals around the world, our Desert Stands, where we take the authors, we take the audience and we take the poets out into this beautiful, uh, pristine part of the desert surrounded by dunes there are camels there Um, you look up into the sky and you see stars twinkling as they should be and you are in the moment so you sit down on cushions after having eaten a wonderful Arabic uh, feast of of delicacies Um, you're welcomed by Emirati dancers Um, it is an experience like no other and I know for international authors coming from around the world This is the memory that they can never get over. They never forget it, Uh, along with all the audience members. And it's become it has become our unique uh, event. And um, year in, year out, it's reproduced, but it's always different. So there are different poets and sometimes the same different languages and sometimes the same. And the magic of words, the magic and the power of poetry is what takes you it transcends transcends everything and you are in the moment and you can't do anything but absorb it and I think I always realize what humanity is when I'm sitting there it is that this is what makes us uniquely human the ability and the desire and the need to create pictures through words It's the opening uh, event for the festival. It's happening on Tuesday, the 4th of February from 7 o'clock to about 9.30 or so. And the poets, as Isabel said, some, you know, we've seen before. Some are coming back and some are brand new when you haven't seen them before at all. There's a mixture of languages. You can expect English, Arabic, Portuguese, maybe even some French if we can convince one of our poets to read us something in French as well. Um, And they are amazing performance poets as well. One returning poet who I know that we're all a fan of um, and is constantly requested is Harry Baker. Now, he is coming back, but he's also coming back with Chris Reed. And he and Chris Reed have done something since they were last in the Emirates, and that is they have formed a... Flora, you take this they one. They are <clears throat> the UK's favourite comedy rap jazz duo. Say um, that again. Comedy rap jazz. Comedy rap jazz. And um, they do a performance. They've taken it to the Edinburgh Fringe. They've been um, on, t- on TV shows and radio shows across the UK. And they're bringing it to Dubai for the first time, which was very exciting. So we at Desert Stances, we will have Harry performing and Harry and Chris performing as the Harry and Chris show, imaginatively, as Harry said, imaginatively named. Um, they'll also be featuring during the festival. Um, so we are absolutely thrilled to have Harry back. And again, I've had a lot of people saying... Thank you. (laughs) And I saw that Harry Baker's doing a poetry workshop for those who are interested in writing poetry. Um, All of the workshops, all of the masterclasses sell out so fast. And Chris Reed is also doing one on songwriting, which I think is something we haven't done before and I'm really excited about. That's amazing. And those are the things that, you know, what what has always struck me year on, this is our uh, year on year, this is our 12th year of uh, holding the annual literary festival, is how much... Um, we've evolved into being a festival of writers. This is where you come along to hone your skills in writing, whether it's poetry, whether it's children's fiction, non-fiction, travel, and now lyrics. So how brilliant is that? Alex, have you ever experienced comedy rap jazz? 
I haven't, but I, I remember seeing Harry Baker. Was he here a couple of year go, years ago, two or three years ago? 2018. He, he was absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yes. Incredible performer, beautiful poems, and just a wonderful re- re- rapport with the audience as well. The audience responds to him so well, so I'm really excited to hear that Harry's coming back. Yeah. Because it can be difficult to think about comedy, rap, and jazz all together in one kind of cohesive entity in one's head. Um, here's an example of Harry and Chris performing some of their work. So it's Harry and it's Chris with Harry and Chris. Jen's so nice. Moms are us to marry their kids. Jen's so cool. Kids and us to marry their mothers. So we gotta sit together like the Mario brothers. Even McCartney and Lennon were less tight. We're like Batman and Robin with less tights. <laughs> Think Spock and Kurt. But one of us is not a nerd. Starsky and Hutch. But one of us is a nerd. Jamie and Andy. Venus and Serena. But, but when, when we play tennis, our screams are Serena. <laughs> Told Chris half his technique is astonishing. I guess that's a backhanded compliment. So oh. as you can tell, they're musical, they're hilarious. There are a lot of terrible puns. So if you like that sort of thing, you're in for a treat. And he also does completely different poetry, which is incredibly moving. This is the thing. He is so versatile. This is not a one trick person at all. And I love the fact that he's taken it into another area because it is very difficult to be funny. But it he also is incredibly good at, at sad, moving and uplifting poetry. He has such a gift with words. And he's a mathematician, isn't he, or a physicist. Um, And uh, what I love is how now there is a huge recognition. There was a sort of steering away from it, but everyone is coming back to, yes, STEM is very important. STEM subjects are very important. But where would we be without humanities and humanity? So, So do not exclude it from your lives, please. We all need it. We all need to have that emotion as well as the, uh, you know, other things. Can, sorry, can somebody actually remind me what STEM stands for? Because it just makes me think of flowers. Science, technology, Knowledge. engineering Math. and... Mathematics. Math. I was okay. going to say nerds. Sorry, it's M. <laughs> that would be STEM. <laughs> that would be STEM, STEM. <laughs> But it's true. And, and I know that people who study studying maths do also see... Um, there's techniques behind poetry that are very closely aligned to maths. And actually, when you get someone like Harry, don't put in the two together. It's it's brilliant. And his some of his poetry is about that. Which yeah. Is even Prime better. numbers about two people falling in love who lived at opposite sides of the road, but both their houses were prime numbers. That is just one of the most amazing poems. One ever. of my favourites was uh, 99 Problems, but maths ain't one. Just his little <laughs> riff on Jay-Z there. Jay-Z and maths together. Who'd have thought about it? Yeah. Harry Baker. Um, so we are going to... Can I just say, this is Tuesday, the 4th of February, 7pm. It's very easy to get to this. We've chosen a location in the desert you can drive an ordinary car to. Um, We will be putting the location map up onto our website nearer the time. And um, it is something for all the family. We get quite a lot of teenagers coming along because they absolutely love Mm. some of the younger, more edgy poets that perform. And it is it is just special, very special. Don't miss it. And my, you know, priority question was obviously what's for dinner and there will be food involved in Desert Stanzas as well. Just pointing that out there for anybody whose entire world revolves around their My, Mine does. And if there wasn't food, I'd find it very difficult to come. So that has to be, that box has to be ticks. That's ticked. right. And for a full lineup of all the poets and where you can get your tickets, do go to our website, emirateslipfest.com. Exactly. Um, And we will come back with another very special event that Alex Brune is going to tell us a bit more about in just a few minutes. Before we do, though, Flora, you mentioned something 
before we came into the studio that you have to share. This is not related to the festival, but it is very interesting book-related news, it's and a, I'm intrigued. It's a tiny little bit of book news, and this is our book news segment, which is that scientists have developed an electronic nose to uh, which can identify the different compositions of materials that books are made of, and therefore allow librarians to identify which books are most likely to de- degrade the fastest and bring them out for restoration. And I thought that was a lovely little bit of art and science combining. That is lovely. Although kind of terrifying to think about an electronic nose. But yeah, I like that. I like that very much. I think that's just complete science fiction, Flora. <laughs> There's a scientific research project to prove it. She'll send you the link and she'll prove it when we come oh, back. Dear. I, just think I do love it. That's great. You know, we'll be th- selling thousands and thousands of brand new books at the festival, but we all have our favourites back in our old libraries and it's good to know there are different ways of making sure they don't yeah. decompose. 4001 with your big questions. Yeah. Keep them coming in and uh, we're looking for big questions that are about tomorrow and our future and our planet and everything else. What makes the perfect crime. To answer this, we're looking in the stack of books by authors attending the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next February because it's happening the 4th to the 9th of February and this is the first show that we have had since we have announced all the authors coming next year and we're very excited. So to give you a kind of magical mystery tour and some of our highlights because it's such a vast programme, we are going to dip into a few books today and we're going to start with villains we're going to start with people who probably shouldn't be at large like villanelle <laughs> <laughs> um so tickets are already available by the way for all the events we're discussing today emiratesletfest.com is where you need to go so we've got codename villanelle in our hands by luke jennings today and why is that alex why is that is because um it's wonderful to be a part of creating another fantastic murder mystery dinner at uh, the emirates literature festival And we're creating a dinner based on these books uh, by Luke Jennings and also, I guess, inspired as well by the fabulous miniseries as well, uh, Killing Eve. But uh, it's going to be fantastic to bring uh, characters of the same ilk or characters of the same style onto the stage and uh, create a really chilling but sort of sexy and fun murder mystery for the audience to work out on the night. So you're an award-winning playwright and screenwriter. You're no stranger to a good story. But I remember when we first approached you to kind of put something together for this murder mystery dinner, I have never seen a response (laughs) so loaded with excitement. I was because I must say, it's really interesting. The way I've come to these uh, books, I came to them through the miniseries, uh, which my wife actually first watched and sort of said, you've got to watch this. It's fantastic. You've got to watch this. I'm like, oh, no, God, not more villains, more killers, more assassins. God, can I really watch something else like this? But, you know, it's told in such an interesting way from such an interesting viewpoint. And, uh, you know, as, as we were talking about the way that Luke Jennings came about writing the books, he wrote them, you know, in four parts, as you were saying, Flora. Um, and, uh, and, you know, to discover these beautiful characters, and they're such wonderful characters, such vivid characters in such dynamic situations that it really transports you. I mean, people, it's, she's kind of like a, a bit of a dark female 007, if you want. It's in that kind of world yeah. or that kind of ilk, but it's always a little bit tongue-in-cheek, so it never takes itself too seriously, which is also great. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic source material, and uh, both the book and the miniseries. So the Murder Mystery Dinner is happening at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature on the 5th of February. It's a Wednesday night and you can expect a wonderful murder mystery whodunit that you have to figure out. And just an evening of great fun, basically. And great food. Don't great forget food. the great food. And Luke Jennings himself in conversation, telling mm. us a little bit more about the background to the books and how they 
uh, how he how he wrote them, how he came to come up with the characters. This is the great thing, I think, about the structure, which, uh, Isabel, I think you came up with last year, which we, we speak to the writer first, or whoever did, congratulations, whoever did. Maybe yeah. it was you, the Annabelle. Team. The, the team. team came up with Somebody came up with this great idea. So what we'll have is we'll start with Luke Jennings and a conversation with Luke Jennings, and then Luke uh, may or may not uh, be ready for what is coming next because uh, I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek. Uh, at the end of Luke's talk, he'll be uh, interrupted by some very special guests who uh, who might be have some dark and sinister purposes for Mr. Jennings himself. So he might be, he better get ready for some surprises. And the audience uh, should get ready for some surprises because it's going to be a great fun night with uh, four other very local, locally based villains who are going to emerge onto the intercontinental stage. Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, I'm fascinated to hear um, from Luke himself about how he created his characters and also that he self-published. And, uh, you know, this is this is one of those, not rags to riches, that's the wrong thing to say, Flora, but it it's not often that someone who's self-published then gets the success um, that, that Luke has had. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, he came up with the idea of the fiction series based around a female assassin. Um, that's where it all started. Um, but he wrote the books initially as novellas that he launched as Kindle thing, as um, ebook short ebooks on Amazon, and they started to do rather well. And people were liking them. He was continuing to write them, and they came across the desk of um, uh, writers and um, actors agency who passed on to a TV production company who optioned it, which doesn't necessarily mean anything no. will happen when you get an option on the book. But in this case, um, somebody read them, loved them, and were determined to turn this story of Villanelle and Eve into a TV series. So I love that this has all come from the original text, the original literature. And then it sounds as if, and we'll learn much more about this at the festival, that um, Luke was still writing the books and coming up with the concepts as the TV series was being written and developed into um, what it's become. So you've got both books in front of you. How how do the stories diverge? Because I think a lot of people have seen the TV show, but maybe not necessarily have read the books. Well, for people who aren't familiar, I'm sure most people are, but just very, very quickly. So it's the story of a young Russian girl called Oksana Vorontsova. And uh, her mother dies when she is very young. And she's raised by a very absent father who's also in the military. And she lives a quite brutal teenage years or grows up uh, in Perm, a very tough industrial part of Russia. And then her father is quite brutally murdered. Uh, she then takes revenge on those killers and uh, is placed in um, a prison. And it seems like she's just going to be sentenced for very, very many years. And then suddenly she's taken out of the prison and uh, offered a whole opportunity for another life. So I guess what's really interesting about for those who've, uh, I mean, I would urge you to read the books. I mean, I know a lot of people have seen the series and I've done the series. I've seen that. I don't need to. I, you really need to read the books because the thing about the series is it's based from Eve's point of view, mm. who Eve, of course, is an MI5 agent who becomes quite obsessed with, with this character who becomes known as Villanelle, this assassin, and she wants to track it down. Whereas the books are from Villanelle's point of view. So they tell us a lot more about her life, about her backstory, and about how she became who she is, and more about how she thinks and what she goes to. We really get into her head. So it's a lot more about her life, and there's lots of incidents that appear in the books that don't appear in the series. So, I mean, that's the major thing, that it's from Villanelle's point of view, so that's why I'd really urge you to, to read it. Also, this very shadowy organisation called The Twelve, who mm. are the, the people who, who employ Villanelle to carry out these assassinations around the world. They, um, Luke explains more about them 
in the book, which we never hear about, of course, in the series. We just there's this mysterious um, organization we never hear much about. Um, also, Constantin is a lot less in the books than he is in the series, a lot less. And, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who adapted it, and she's a fantastic writer. She, of course, just won an Emmy recently for Fleabag. She's taken her own liberties, and obviously Eve sort of related to herself as a character, mm-hmm. so she's brought that character on. But things like Bill, the Bill Pargave character is only mentioned very, very briefly in the books, but he's quite a large character in the first series of Killing mm-hmm. Eve. In, in fact, it's Simon Mortimer in the book. And also Carolyn Martins, uh, which is a fantastic character in the series that we all love and has had many awards for Fiona Shaw, who plays her. Um, that character is not in the books either. It's Her handler is a guy called Richard Edwards, um, and he gets sort of dispensed with, and Carolyn comes into it. So there's lots of little interesting things like that. Um, and, and one key series uh, section that's uh, in the book is in Am- sorry in the series in Amsterdam actually happens in Shanghai, the whole section with Fat Panda, if you could remember that section. So there's certain liberties that have been taken, but it's the same story and it's the same characters. But what is really, really most interesting is because the series, of course, is about the relationship between the two women and the fascination, the obsession that builds between the two women. It's a love story. I mean, really, the series, both episodes, series one and series two, are a love story between these two women. It's not so much about that in the books. It's about Villanelle's story and it's about Eve's story. And Villanelle actually hooks up or connects with a, a woman called Lara, who she knows from many years ago. And they have a sort of interesting friction, which sort of, which is more the love story, if you like, in the book. And it's more about Eve and her relationship with Nico, her husband, which is also, of course, in the, in the series. So, you know, it's very interesting. I think the differences between them are really interesting. And I think if you watch the series, you'll still love the books because you'll see the lovely little twists and turns. Because they are substantially different. They're, subst- they're very different. It's not like you're just going to read a sort of version. And the incredible thing about Luke Jennings, of course, he's, he was an opera critic, as you said. And he has an incredible knowledge of fashion, of arts, of the high life. So, I mean, seriously, the next... I'm going to ask him when we see him about he should do some Villanelle in Dubai because she's a real Dubai girl, this lady. I mean, it's all about the incredible clothes she's wearing, the incredible uh, food and beverages they're having. It's the incredible places they're in. So it's in Venice and, you know, it's in Paris. It's all in these very exotic locations. So, you know, you can be sitting on the 41 bus to Springs and suddenly be transported to this fantastic locations in Venice. So it's really a book. It's fun to read. It's a quick read. It's easy to read. And, and it's one you should really grab your hands on. I think, uh, I don't know about you, Isabel, the thing that appeals the most to me about the books is the fact that you get to experience everything through Villanelle's headspace because I think that's the most intriguing thing about it is Villanelle as a character. Yeah, it's Villanelle. I mean, and the relationship between Villanelle and Eve. Um, And uh, I only, I watch very little TV series or or TV. I just don't have time for it, um, sadly. But when I was back in the UK, because um, Flora had told me that Luke Jennings was coming, I thought, you know, out of duty, I'm going to have to watch this on catch up. Um, I watched one series and then the whole family got totally hooked and we were putting the grandchildren earlier and earlier to bed (laughs) so we could get on with the next chapter in the series. So I I binged on it. I binged on it over the course of three weeks, I think, series one, series two. And I really, really got into the... Um, into the the, the the relationship and wanting to know what had made Villanelle the way she is because there is no humanity, no empathy. And I think, therefore, I need to read the books because I'm going to understand a lot more about her. But I'm so looking forward to the murder mystery dinner because it is such a special uh, evening where everyone gets into the spirit and uh, wants to know who did it or who done it or whatever you like to say. But having the creator of Villanelle there, my goodness, what what an interesting conversation that's going to be. 
And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a chance to really get into the psyche of Villanelle and really understand her and to understand the way she thinks and the way she goes about life, which we don't really get that insight into in the series because in the series it's all about Eve trying to uncover who is this enigmatic woman, who is this person who's creating, you know, who's doing these terrible assassinations. So she, she tries to uncover her, but in the book we introduce to her and we live her life with her. Yeah. And it, it's a great insight into who that character is. The books and the series as well, they raise a lot of big questions and we'll find those answers at the Emirates Literature Festival next year in February. Just to remind you of the dates, 4th to the 9th of February and emiratesliftfest.com is where you can go to find out more information and also to buy tickets to any of the lovely sessions and events that we are talking about on the show today. So we've been talking about villainy. We've been talking about Luke Jennings, who is coming to the festival. Um, he is best known as the creator of the Assassin's and the enigmatic assassin Villanelle, um, and which was adapted for uh, television, Killing Eve, you might be familiar with. We have talked about a murder mystery dinner, and we've talked about his session at the festival, and we are now moving on to a different sort of villainy. So we have a crime writer coming to the festival. His name is Linwood Barclay. Um, I actually hadn't heard of Linwood Barclay beforehand, but apparently he is... He's huge. He's huge. <laughs> um, he's, he's a Canadian writer who has been writing thrillers... Um, and they're high concept, big twist, big character thrillers that he's been writing for 15, 20 years. Um, good, many, many millions of copies. His um, big breakthrough back in the 2000s was No Time for Goodbye. Um, and what he does is takes a concept, an idea, something that once you start thinking about it, you can't stop thinking about and turns it into a novel with really fast paced characters and a lot of action. Well, his next book um, and the one that he'll be focusing on at the festival is pretty appropriate for this part of the world (laughs) and it might affect the way you get around and go to your house um, and just to your office and just live your life in this city because it asks this big question. What happens when one of the most vertical cities in the world plummets into a series of elevator accidents? That's in air quotes. It's terrorising the city. Um, So this is a high concept new thriller. Um, It's about a serial killer that basically preys on people by dropping elevators um, and it will make you not want to go into an elevator (laughs) or a lift ever again. But here is Linwood Barclay talking about the concept for the book himself. Hi, I'm Linwood Barclay. My new novel, Elevator Pitch, is about a serial killer of a different kind. Manhattan is being terrorized by someone who is sabotaging elevators. Elevator pitch is going to do for elevators what Psycho did for showers. Get ready for the ride of your life. You are never gonna wanna go into an elevator again. So there you go, that's Linwood Barclay <laughs> talking about elevators. I'm taking the fire exit when I leave here. Yes, we shall be taking the stairs when we leave the studio. And oh. Linwood is actually also running a masterclass during the festival to talk to, about how he comes up with these high concept thrillers and puts them together. So I think that's something not to miss if you're a crime writer or a crime fan. Absolutely. I love the idea. He takes, he takes the idea rather than the characters and uh, goes from that direction, which is very different to Luke Jennings and Villanelle. So... That's that's brilliant. But uh, listeners, I'm just going to say, do you have, and it's awful to say, do you have a favourite villain? Um, if it's you not do, awful to say. Um, well, it is really. We shouldn't be rooting for villains, should we? Um, uh, really. But but having having not read Luke's books, I'm going to, but having watched the series Killing Eve, I definitely, there was such, I was drawn in to this sort of villanelle character and what was it about her that was attractive? 
I don't know what it was. But if you have a favourite villain, 4001, and please put your name on that message or use the app. And you've got a question, haven't you, where you can win two copies of do. Um, uh, Killing Eve Villanelle. Yes. So if you'd like to win a copy of Codename Villanelle by Luke Jennings, which inspired the Killing Eve TV series, all you have to do is answer this question. What is the name of the former MI6 operative hired to catch the assassin Villanelle? Is it A, Emily, B, Eve, or C, Fred? I know which one I would pick. But is it Eve. Fred? Well, can't give away answers okay. on the show okay. as well. Okay. 4001 with your name and the answer. Um, and also, side note, I'm so glad, listeners, that I played that clip of Linwood Barkley talking about his book and it was quite scary. And I think it was just worth it for the look on Isabel's face just now. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I mean, uh, yes, I'm, I'm very susceptible when I read books and I'm going to be terrified of um, the idea of it. Because every time I get in a lift and you press the button, particularly if it's going down, I'm not so worried going up, but going down, maybe that I have to read the book and see. Um, if it judders... I'm sort of got my hands on the side of the wall. And um, I, the, I read this book. I'm sure it's called The Worst Case Scenario. And it had things like plummeting elevators. It sounds like a things. terrible book to read if you're already frightened uh, of the world. No, it isn't. Because a little bit of, you know, the thing is you need to be prepared. I was a girl guide. So be prepared. And then it's how you land um, a plane how you jump off a moving train and things like, you know, elevators that have gone crazy. OK, if the apocalypse hits, I know where I'm headed. <laughs> uh, so if you'd like to see Linwood Barkley talking about Elevator Pitch at the festival, that's happening on Friday, the 7th of February, early morning, 10 o'clock. Um, and emiratesitfest.com is where you go for tickets and more information about that. But moving on now to a bestseller that has kind of taken taken the world by storm. Everybody is talking about it. Uh, the author is coming to the festival next year. We are, of course, talking about Vox by Christina Dulcher. I'd like to introduce Tamriz Anam, also from the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. She's in the education department at the Literature Foundation. Welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Annabelle. So Vox... Christina Dalcher. The premise of this is that um, I think it's set in America or a spe speculated fictional version of America where women are restricted to 100 words and if they surpass that, then they get an electric shock. And the, the concept, again, like with Linwood Barclay, is very strong. You've got this great conceit. What was the book like? Yeah, so it's um, set in a dystopian future. It's America, some time in the near future and um, Christina Dalcher hasn't been very subtle about <laughs> the jabs that she makes at the government no. which kind of mirrors the make America great government that um, we see at present. Um, it's uh, a right-wing authoritarian government who, ha who has silenced women by putting these wristbands that count every word they speak and limit them to a hundred words as you said. Um, the protagonist is uh, this neurolinguistic scientist uh, who is really struggling with, you know, being out of a job, at home, being constrained like this. But her biggest sort of worry and regret is that she didn't speak up when she could have, you know, when she saw these changes. So I think like sort of the big message that uh, Dalcher has in this book is um, the loss of liberties and women's rights. It's a slippery slope. And if people don't speak up and um, you don't fight for those rights, you don't know how quickly they get eroded. 
you know, and that's what's so chilling and so scary about this book. And we see this in the world. You know, you think it's very far-fetched, like, oh, of course, we're not going to have these counters on our wrists. But actually, you see so many examples in the real world where women have been effectively silenced. You know, and I don't want to jump ahead, but one of the other books that I've brought in is Let Her Fly by Ziauddin Yousafzai, which talks about um, Swat in northern Pakistan about a decade ago and how the Taliban regime was doing that to women. There it was by not letting girls go to school, um, not letting women get out of their homes and, you know, basically restricting women's movement and making them less of a person in society. So, so it's it's really interesting that those parallels that are in Vox, we see them in the world, you know. Yeah, I, and I mean, it's not just speaking. Um, no, uh, it's not. It's not just those hundred hundred words spoken out loud. Uh, women are not allowed to learn to read and write. Books are banned for women. They stay at home. They are not part of um, uh, the workforce. I mean, it is. Um, I think the parallel you draw to um, what Yusuf Yusuf Zai writes about is actually really um, uh, a good one because it is actually, that's what's happening, that, that women are, their freedom to do what they want to be part of society, equal parts of society, is completely taken away from them. And one of the chilling things in Vox is the, is the realisation of the main character, is this, the effect this is having on her daughter and the um, next generation of girls and how it is being normalised for them and um, what they are losing. And can you imagine? I mean, she has four children, so she had three boys, one girl. And the boys, obviously, can, can, they go to school, they learn things, they can speak, they have no limits. And imagine how you would feel of, as a mother when that situation, or if you were in Pakistan, in the Swat Valley, as it was then, not being able to send your daughter to school, but your son gets all the all the priority treatment. We've moved away from Killing Eve and all things Villanelle to Vox by Christina Doutzer, which is kind of the, I think, fiction thriller of the moment. It's been done incredibly well. Um, there have been a few negative reviews of it. I think we were talking about that off air. Um, people... People love to hate something popular, I think. Uh, it is. It's this, If it's popular, therefore, it's not good enough. And that's an absolute ridiculous thing. You know, the most important thing when you're reading fiction is to enjoy it or, or to get something from it other than and to keep those pages turning. And all that's what all good uh, novelists do. And she certainly does it in spades here. Um, there, there are so many... Um, it's a very, as you said, Flora, action-packed, fast-moving things are happening but it's about a hugely important subject and there is still around the world it's no one is free of it there is unconscious bias against women it's still there and if we do not you know a lot of people are saying well we don't need to do any more that is still not the case it is still not the case and you were talking um tam Rees, about a bit that really impacted on you tell, tell us about that um where um the main character the the doctor um and her daughter who are limited to a hundred words a day speaking yeah in this book one of the themes is how when um you know civil liberties are taken away or women's rights are um eroded it becomes normalized especially for the next generation because they grow up like that thinking this is what life is. And in the story, in the book, um, the protagonist has a five-year-old daughter. And one day she comes home from school really excited about having won a prize. And 
the, her mother finds out that the prize is for the fact that she did not even speak one word in the whole day that she was in school. And this is something that's really considered a great thing. And that's a, for me, that was a very, very chilling incident in the book and something that the protagonist finds really disturbing as well, that, you know, how quickly her daughter thinks this is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that the book works so well because it's got as a main character, and this ties into the author's own background, has as a main character a theoretical linguist. And so language is a big part of this book. And I think that the strongest the, the strongest part of the book is that she's constantly, because she can't speak as as a reader, you're you're in her head, you're in her thought processes. And her thought processes are incredibly they're interesting and they're all about language because language has been her life and you just feel so angry and almost claustrophobic reading it because you're imagining this woman with all of these things to say um, and this daughter that she can't talk to and it's all trapped and you feel trapped as a reader. Yeah, it also reminded me of the story of Helen Keller. So apparently when um, she was young, she was deaf and mute and... Um, and she didn't know braille. She couldn't read braille. She was she didn't blind, know, wasn't she? Blind, blind deaf, deaf, and mute. So she yes. was stuck in this terrifying world, and she had no control. She was violent. She couldn't express herself. She, nobody understood what she wanted. She didn't have the words, you know, to mm. express herself until a doctor took her on and started teaching her sign language and to read and braille and her life transformed because she had the gift of language. And in this book as well, they talk about how it isn't just words that are silenced, but also sign language, reading, mm -hmm. writing, all the ways in which you experience the world and you express yourself and, you know, you make a contribution in the world. So, it, it, yeah, it's the prevention of communication. It's as if the, this, this threat is so great from half the population that it has to be silenced. And, you know, you think, I mean, I'm not just thinking about the impact on on the Jean and her daughter. I'm thinking about the impact on all of the children because they're the next generation. And so, you know, the mothers are the carers because they're not allowed to work, go out and work. So what how are they going to ever teach, you know, the next generation of even males to speak? I mean, it's just like the most horrendous, horrific um, a future you could ever, ever wish. And as our theme for 2020 Emirates Lit Fest is tomorrow, I mean, this is, we just have to be aware of this, uh, that yeah. no, no thing should be taken away from anyone because of their gender. The Bookshelf, what you should be reading. What you should be reading are all the books that we're talking about on the show today that tie into the authors attending the next Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Um, we This is the first show since the names have been announced. There are over, I think, 150 authors. Flora Reese, Head of Programming, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we're on 153. 150, oh, precise. <laughs> um, we're also joined in the studio by the wonderful Isabel Abulhul and Tamriz Inam, also from the Emirates Literature Foundation and the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Alex Bruin still with us in the studio hello hello nice <laughs> Play playwright gender balance see yes <laughs> award-winning playwright and actor as well um so imagine if you had an electric shock if you surpassed 100 words a day i've already used my allowance just 
in the introduction. Um, will I have enough to, you know, to carry on? Let's see. I'm asking you to imagine this awful scenario because it's the big question or the what if at the heart of the runaway bestseller Vox by Christina Dalcher, who's coming to the festival next year. Um, so Friday the 7th of February, to be exact, is her event. And you can find out more information on emiratesletfest.com. That's where tickets and more information can be found. But we're talking about this fictional thriller that um, imagines a scary scenario. And when you research this book, the first thing that comes up in any of the marketing material, in any of the reviews, Goodreads, critics, it's always in comparison to The Handmaid's Tale. And I thought I'd address that elephant in the room before we go any further. Now, Isabel, you've read The Handmaid's Tale. You've read yes. The Testaments. Yes. Do you think that's a fair comparison? I think it is because it is really about women. Um, it's about it's about being a woman and, uh, you know, what, what matters to you really and how... Um, you know, small things can stop you just because of your gender. And that's what we just have to be so careful about going forward that, that you know, that, that it's not a fight. But the, the point is that we are uh, there is so much unconscious bias um, that that no one realizes even I'm not talking men here. I'm talking women that, you know, I was speaking to someone who was an absolute champion of women's rights. Um, who was at the festival last time. And I can remember her saying to me um, that she got on a plane, she was going uh, to Norway, and um, the uh, uh, voice came over the, the uh, tannoy in the plane, and it was female. And she thought, why is the stewardess speaking to us, not the pilot? She was wrong. And, you know, she said it really made her sit up and think how many times. It's not just men. And um, I think we made, a, a, when we were off air, that Tamriz made a very good point that... Um, you know, it's not about us alone. This is about humanity, which is made up of 50% of both gender. And we need to really go there together because, you know, every, every child has a mother and a father and they need that full support and they need to feel they are valuable because they are a human being, not for anything else. Uh, we have a text from the wonderful Finn who says, a hundred words, my hair would be standing on end permanently. <laughs> I think a lot of us in the studio feel the same way. Um, and we also talked about the fact that it's quite it's quite frustrating as a as a reader when you're confronted with this character who used to be she, you know she's, she's a doctor of uh, theoretical linguistics I believe mm. she's got this this young daughter who is also restricted in what she can and can't say can't tell her mother about what happened to her at school excitedly and it's heartbreaking to read it's utterly heartbreaking and I think Christina Delta does a fantastic job of conveying that it's also a very quick read I think I read it in in a day. Yeah the, the, yeah, the most terrifying thing for me is when her daughter has nightmares and, and they can hear her, her and her husband can hear her, and they are rushing to get to her before she reaches the maximum. Mm. And was it midnight? And, you know, would the next hundred words there? Um, because she's screaming, it's getting me, it's getting me, which, you know, children do have nightmares. And can you imagine that situation as a parent? Um, and, I mean, the mother, Dr. Jean, has to go in and put her hand over her mouth to stop words coming out. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is terrifying. This is horrible. This is something that I really don't want to ever, ever mm. have happen. Mm. And picking up on what you were saying about the gender divide or gender support, 
I think what she shows brilliantly in the book is how the boys just don't get it. They just don't understand the the structure that their sister is under. Um, And until they understand why it's so awful for her, they're never going to be able to help make the change. Yeah. And also, I mean, how damaging toxic masculinity is for boys and men themselves, you know, and there's this... um, um, one of her eldest sons, Stephen, is about 17 years old, and he has really bought into this right-wing ideology. Um, but over the course of the book, without giving any spoilers, we see how that really destroys his life as well, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, so it's not just women who suffer under misogynistic authoritarian regimes. It's the men themselves, too. So, uh, yeah, Vox by Christina Delcher, if you just tuned in, that is the book that we are talking about at the moment. Christina Delcher is coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next year. Not only will she be talking about her book Vox on Friday the 7th of February, she'll also be giving a workshop in flash fiction. Now, if you know her background, uh, Christina Delcher is a linguist herself, and she also, before she wrote this novel, was quite well known for her flash fiction. And that comes through in this book in terms of the pacing. It is incredibly pacey. You will not be able to put it down until you finish. It's just a fantastic read. Now I'd like to move on now to something a bit more inspiring. Um, but Flora, you had something that you wanted to share? Just that Christina, we're talking about the intersection between f- fiction reality and Christina's also doing a, a panel with Yasser Mbajat, who is um, a science fiction writer who writes in Arabic. Um, they're bringing together to discuss the world of tomorrow, uh, t- relevant to our theme, but also um, how fantastical stories rooted in the past lead to fiction that we write today and what impact that has on sci- on science and science fiction has on fiction. So I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion. And when's that happening? That is on Thursday, the 6th of February at 7.30pm. So something every day. Um, I'd also like to bring up inspiration now, because I think when you, when you read Vox <laughs> and you get to the end of it, you need a bit of a palate cleanser, if, that's, if that sounds about right. Um, so I'd like to move now to some non-fiction. Um, and it's only fitting that we move to the family championing for female voices everywhere to be heard and listened to, quite the opposite of Vox. I am, of course, talking about the wonderful Ziadin Yousafzai and Tor Pakai Yousafzai. Now, they're both coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next year. I'm incredibly excited. Um, that's happening on Friday, the 7th of February. Ziadin Yousafzai has, of course, written a book called Let Her Fly and it is beautiful. Um, He's best known as the father of the youngest Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Malala, Um, but he's also the father who refused to clip his daughter's wings and I think that's a great place for us to start because Tamriz, I think you have a wonderful quote as to where the idea for this book and the title came from. Yes, so I'll just read this. Um, It's from the book. Whenever Whenever anybody has asked me how Malala became who she is, I have often used the response... Ask me not what I did, but what I did not do. I did not clip her wings. When I say of Malala, I did not clip her wings, what I mean is that when she was small, I broke the scissors used by society to clip girls' wings. I did not let those scissors near Malala. I love that quote, you know, and it's talking about all the different ways in in which girls are stopped in society and this is one father who really stood up for his daughter from a very young age in a very very patriarchal very traditional society um, in Swat in northern Pakistan and at the time when Malala was little it was just traditional but later on you know about a decade ago the Taliban took over in the Swat Valley and it just became this horrific nightmarish place um, where all kinds of women's liberties were 
curtailed. So already it was a traditional place. And then we went back literally like a century into the past in terms of the norms in society. And um, Ziauddin Yusufzai, even during that time, he empowered not just Malala, but all the girls by, because he had he was running a girls' school. And even when the Taliban were saying, you know, you need to shut down girls' schools, he was doing this in secret. He was still, you know, trying to teach these girls. Yeah. And uh, he, he mentions the subject of name naming comes up as well. Yes. And I think it's interesting that someone who's become known as Malala's father <laughs> makes this comment in his book about his, his mother, or the women in his life, basically. Um, and he names them. He names all his sisters in the book very early on. And he says, I name them here because during my childhood, I never once saw their names written down. They were described only in relation to men, daughters of my father, sisters of Ziauddin and Saeed Ramzan. They were never named in their own right. It was the same when I saw my mother described, wife of Rahul Amin, mother of Ziauddin or Saeed Ramzan. And he makes that comment very early on. And it's interesting to see when you read this book, how how much he he respects where he's come from, but also recognises the need to say, look, this is where we need to be now. And I think um, to be able to see him on stage with Topakai, his wife and Malala's mother, um, I had the great honour of seeing her, um, as as did you, Flora, Um, and she's an incredible lady, and he absolutely, the love between them, the respect between them is is there for everyone to see. And it will be her first, as far as I know, public appearance. Yeah. Are talking and um, although the book is obviously it's by Yusufzai, it's it's very much Torpakai's story as well. He includes her throughout and the impact that, first of all, that she has had on the family and that the um, experience the family have had has had on Torpakai and the changes that have, that she's had to make. I mean, mm. and you know, moving to the UK for example after Malala's was was shot mm. and the massive changes that that Im- impacts on people's lives. If, I, he, if he, I can jump in quickly, yes. I had the great pleasure of meeting Ziuddin as you we did, did in yes. at the Abu Dhabi International yes. Book Fair um, earlier in the year. And he's a fantastic speaker too. Yeah. He's really, he's very, very, uh, can communicate very, very well. He but can he tell his story. He has, he has quite, he's had a stammer since he was a child. But you don't notice that much. He um, seems to get over he that pretty comes, well. He comes, what he does, he's, he's brilliant. Um, he he tells you right at the beginning, mm-hmm. I've got a stammer, and he will stammer through it, but he admits it. You know, if this is something that he finds difficult, he's not gonna he's not no. gonna um, not bring it out. There. He's not gonna be silenced. Yes. And in the book, which is an incredibly moving book, Let Her Fly, he talks about how strong Torpakai was when Malala was shot. She was the strength. She was the power that kept them going and kept them believing that Malala could be you know, could be saved. Um, And again, moving to UK must have been huge upheaval for her, but she just has been so positive and embraced it and and has such a great sense of humour. So I think we're in for a really special treat when they're on stage together. I think that's right. And what's so inspiring about the book is you see everything that happened before um, Malala was shot because as she, as she herself said I don't want to be remembered as the girl who was shot I want to be the girl who fought which is absolutely right and, and exactly where she is and you see from Yusuf's eyes uh, Ziedin's point of view how he enabled her to become this champion but he didn't make her and yeah. he's very clear about that this is the child that she was always going to be yeah and and, and they talk in the book he, he sort of recounts when he spoke to her about when she's going to Oxford and about you know um, arranged marriages and things like that and they have the most wonderful relationship and she has got every bit her mother's humour when she comes back with her answers to him and I just think what wonderful role models the mm-hmm. family are for for all of us.
You are joining us while we talk about the authors that are coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next February. The festival is happening from the 4th to the 9th and that's kind of our loose theme on the show today. We're giving you a magical mystery tour of some of the highlights because it is a vast program. I'm joined here actually by the head of programming at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature, Flora Reese. Thank you. Yes, it is. Um, we're really excited to have the program out there, all the authors and the sessions that we've got on, everything from panels, discussions, solos, workshops, um, poetry. We're covering so many different questions, so How many different ideas. How to argue with the racist That's by Adam Rutherford. Rutherford. Everyone, everyone who came along to the launch and came along to Foundation Friends Evening, that really, oh my goodness, they said. And it's launched on the day, the, the first day of the festival, yeah. isn't it? it comes out on so the, it will be hot off the press on, on, on that particular day. Is he? I know he's, he's, a, a, so he's a science broadcaster yes. and a geneticist, PhD Genetic. in genetics. Yes, yes. And um, he's an incredible speaker. Again, he was one of the ones that I was fortunate to meet in London in September. And honestly, um, he is able to put it so succinctly using scientific fact, but also using powerful words to get across um, the science behind how people become racist or what makes people racist and how to argue with it using using facts. So that's going to be an incredible panel. So we've spoken about quite a few books on the show already. Just to give you a quick recap, we've spoken about Codenade, Codenade, <laughs> Codename Villanelle by You've put Luke. it into code, haven't I you? I have, I have. See, that's exactly what I did. I didn't make a mistake at all. It was entirely on purpose. <laughs> Codename Villanelle by Luke Jennings, which was adapted into a TV show which you're probably familiar with called Killing Eve. Luke will be at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next year, so we spoke a little bit about that and villainy. We also spoke about Linwood Barclay, who is the author of many, many books, but his most recent elevator pitch is one that will make you terrified of getting into a lift or an elevator ever again. He's coming to the festival as well. Um, we also spoke about a book that you can win on the show today, Vox by Christina Dalcher. It's a bestseller. It's been compared to The Handmaid's Tale. It's a great read. It's terrifying and you will need something happy to read afterwards, but we highly recommend it. She's also coming to the festival. If you'd like to win a copy or at least be in with a chance to win a copy of Vox, all you have to do is let us know on 4001 with your name. What does Vox mean? What's the definition of a Vox? What does the word mean? All you, have to, all you have to do is text that answer to 4001 and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. Now, on that dark note, let's bring us you know, back into the light. We've been talking about Let Her Fly by Ziaddin Yousafzai. Um, it's got a wonderful foreword by Malala herself as well. And the subtitle is A Father's Journey and the Fight for Equality. We're delighted that Ziaddin and Torpakai, his wife, are going to be joining us at the festival next year. So we're talking about this beautiful memoir. And I don't know about you, but this surpassed my expectations and then some. Now, I know he has an incredible story, but with um, Louise Carpenter, I think, doing the co-authoring with him, it's turned into just a beautifully written book. And one that I think every father should read. I mean, I really do. No matter who you are, where you're from, this book really is worth reading um, and seeing um, how he developed such such vision um, and was not um, sort of um, handcuffed into what the society that he lived in um, expected. What what I wanted to do... Oh, sorry. Yeah. 
I just have a confession to make about this book as well. So I'm from Pakistan and there are all these cons- conspiracy theories when it comes to Malala and Zaudin Yousafzai and how he has used conspiracy his daughter. Conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah he, how he's used his daughter's fame and it's a Western ploy and all of this stuff. So I picked up this book very hesitantly. I'll be very honest. And it really made me change my mind and make me see this man for who he is as a father, as a person. And I'm honestly saying like, you know, some of the earlier stories of him being a boy with a stutter, his relationship with his father, how he fell in love with his wife, you know, how he very, very in subtle ways tried to change the gender dynamics in his house, for example, including his wife at the dinner table when his father would come to their house to have dinner, which wasn't done. The men would eat separately, the women would eat separately. So it was all these little, little things of how he was championing championing women's rights um, and fighting for them without, you know, without being very aggressive about it, because he comes across as a very gentle, kind person. And so this book really made me change my perception of who he is. Uh, I I agree. I think it's really um, wonderful to be able to see so gently told the reality of, of his life and I think what's wonderful it's a very honest book as well I and mean, he tells you he shows where he's, his own self-awareness has developed when he suddenly yes. he's realised what he has been doing that has been tying into mm. without, without understanding as you said Isabel earlier on about how you don't even realise sometimes um, the perceptions and the, the things that you accept without thinking and then it, within the book he will explain where, where he has changed his own thinking and, and why and how he has changed other people's lives I mean we see it on the global scale but he also talks about how within his family and within their friends people have changed their perception of how to um, relate to women and how to bring women much more forward within society Um, I think it's it's a beautiful book and it's an amazing story that I think everyone should read and I think that's where we get into the fake news bit you know Mm. that 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 there was a sort of a a feeling of, of trying to, you know, put put down what he's done as it, it wasn't real and it was, you know, one of these. It's a typical fake news story, which happens all around the world. You know, wherever you look, there's fake news popping up. Um, read this book and then you see the real man, the real family and, you know, the beauty of what he has been able to do because without... Uh, uh, Yusuf Zai, without without Ziadin and without Topakai, there would have been no Malala that that was able to do. You know, she had tremendous strength, and he called her Malala because it's a famous female warrior, mm. isn't it, in Pakistan? I mean, right from the very beginning, he had this thing about. Um, uh, his daughter, right mm. from the very moment she was born. And he values her as his firstborn, boy or girl. Yes. Uh, there's a lovely moment where he talks about the bright light in her eyes when she's a tiny, tiny newborn. Mm. And th- there's something very special that he felt in her right from the beginning. Yes. Well, and, and it's phenomenal that he managed to change the thinking, particularly in, in his own family and, and his father, because if if you read what happened earlier on when Malala was born, his his father wouldn't give him the money for this traditional celebration that would happen because at the birth she of the was child a because girl. she was a girl. Mm-hmm. Yes. And writing her name in the family book. Yes. Which yes. has she's, never happened before. She's yeah. the first she's female name she was the first female name on the family tree in three hundred yeah. years and he talks about how his cousin had a bit of a you know look on his face of a bit of a smirk when he wrote Malala's name on the family tree but now his cousin is one of Malala's strongest supporters yeah I mean you know every person in this in this world can make a difference and I think he is an absolute shining example um that has done that has done that through his quiet determination he's a very gentle person 
Um, he just day by day went on with what he believed was right. So wonderful that we've got him and Torpakai coming. Um, there is one moment from the book that completely <laughs> moved me and I read it out loud to my mother and she started to cry. Um, and it's basically the proudest moment that Ziaddin Yusufzai had as has had as the father of Malala. And he says, people ask me this question all the time and they expect the answer, oh, when she won the Nobel Peace Prize, when she spoke at the United Nations, etc., etc. Because she's done a lot of incredible things. But he actually says, I will tell you that it involved Oxford University and the making and taking of a simple cup of tea. And he goes on to say and talk about the um, dynamics, the gender dynamics of making a cup of tea back when he was a child and where he comes from. I come from a land where women have served me all my life. I come from a family in which my gender made me special, but I did not want to be special for this reason. And his mother would always make these delicious cups of tea, but he and his father would have to drink what they wanted first and then she would have the tea. And it was very much about, you know, serving the men in the family. He goes on to say that when Malala goes for her tour of Lady Margaret Hall, I think, at Oxford University. Uh, Fl- Flora is ex-Oxford, so we can look at her Let's and she's nodding. Yes, Lady yes, Margaret Hall, yes, yeah. OK. Um, and he says... And, a- and also Tamriz's. I mean, here oh, we really? are. We are in illustrious company today. Two females who've both been to Oxford University. Bravo. <laughs> Welcome to Talking of Books. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Malala. (laughs) Um, Across the room, he says, I saw the principal make his way over to the tea-making machine. What would my father have made of such an invention? The principal picked up a cup, dropped in a tea bag from a nearby container, and placed the cup under the machine, filling the cup with hot water. After a few seconds, he placed the cup on a saucer and poured in some milk. After stirring the tea and throwing out the tea bag, he picked up the cup and saucer and crossed the room with this one cup of tea. There were lots of us who did not have a cup to hold, but he continued until he reached his destination. And at that point, he handed the cup to Malala. Only then I started to cry. Oh, <laughs> it, is, it is really, I mean, that, that everything it represents. Empathy, mm-hmm. empathy to be able to, to, to write and say what was the most moving moment in his life as the father of Malala. Um, he recognised the huge journey as a family, as a country, that they had been on to get to this stage yeah. where the principal of an Oxford college would be walking, having made a cup of tea as a male to give it to Malala, who was going to be one of his students. I mean, honestly, that is just magic. And the book is full of moments and the, yeah, like the, that. The, the yeah, the book is full of moments <laughs> like that. It's, I think it's about 165 pages, but there's not a single paragraph that isn't just incredibly moving or filled with some anecdote that just makes you want to recommend the book to everyone you know. And he is an incredibly inspiring speaker. You know, we, we had the pleasure to hear him earlier in the year and he really does light light up life around you. You feel privileged to be in his in his company. And so does Torpakai. Oh yeah. she she she's equally but she's the strength. What you really see when you see them together that she is the strength um that has kept them going through terribly dark times um without her and he he does not hold back in acknowledging that every single moment. Yeah his his pride for her and his love for her is just beautiful to read. Um, he, he often describes himself self-deprecatingly as the romantic idealist and she's always bringing him back down to practicalities. 
There's a lovely moment when they're talking about how the book was written that he would sometimes forget a key anecdote and he'd just call for her and she'd come in and her elephant memory would just have, it would be there, all the details that they needed. Yeah, And she has got an amazing sense of humour as well. And I think Malala's inherited that from her rather than from her father. (laughs) Uh, this, this, This amazing... Dry, very dry, very sharp sense of humour that, that, that keeps, keeps your feet on the ground. So that's not the flying bit, though. We're asking what was the last book that inspired you because we're talking about inspirational books at the moment by authors attending the upcoming Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. We've had some wonderful text messages in already. Nabil says, love the discussion on Malala's book. Can you please share the name of the book again? Well, it's actually just the foreword that's by Malala. The book is called Let Her Fly. It's the wonderful memoir by Ziadin Yousafzai, her father, and we highly recommend that you check it out and come and see him at the festival next February. Finn has said that I love this programme because you make me cry. (laughs) Uh, That's that's a really positive emotion for everyone and particularly I assume Finn is is, uh, a male. No. Female. 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 Oh, Finn, sorry. I've been corrected by Finn on this previously, which is why I remember. Okay, so so, I mean, uh, you know, crying is is one of our emotions and um, Good books always make me cry. Flora? Absolutely. And in fact, if you go into Let Her Fly, we were told the three times that Malala herself cried in the book because, and and um, it's really powerful to oh, read. Gosh. So do read the book and mm. find We're out. getting emotional that. again just <laughs> yes. thinking about yeah. it. It is amazing. It is amazing. But I think that's what is so fabulous about the 2020 lineup of writers from around the world. We have, you know, so many different nationalities on so many different topics, whether it's how to argue with the racist, whether it's inspirational women, whether it's inspirational mountaineers and Mm -hmm. explorers, um, whether it's cities of the future, you name it, there is something for everyone. And you don't need to be someone who has got your nose in books. In fact, if you don't have your nose in a book, come along because what you'll find is these amazing discussions where people are passionately talking about something that you might absolutely disagree with and that's fine you know it is all about having these conversations that matter about being part of that conversation listening in putting your hand up and saying i disagree you know we love it you have the chance to ask questions of the authors and of course you don't have to have read the books before the sessions they'll all be on sale at the festival if you are sparked your interest is is sparked by the by the writer but come along to something you never thought you were going to be interested in and just find out something new someone actually said that at the foundation friends one of the foundation friends came up to me and said last time you said that was you (laughs) You thought I was me? No, I thought you were the one who said that you should branch out. Oh, no. She said to me last time when you had the Foundation Friends evening, you said, put your finger, just put, put a pin anywhere. Yeah. Choose to go to something you have no idea about the writer or the t- topic and give yourself, give yourself a little adventure. And she did that. And she said it was the most amazing session. And I'm not guaranteeing it's going to be the most amazing session. But it is actually, you are on a journey of exploration. You are on a journey to find answers. So you've got to, you've got to expose yourself to different things. Don't just stay within your comfort zone. Um, I went to China um, a couple of weeks ago and I had a, an amazing time. It was my first visit. I saw pandas, but I also spoke to Chinese writers. And again, it was incredible. If you're a Chinese, and I might have got this totally wrong, I often get things wrong. Um, if you're a child in China, 
Um, you have to learn 7,000 characters of simplified Chinese to be able to read and write. And consequently, the levels of illiteracy in China, you know, are still um, not where they should be. And maybe it's because that's an incredible ask. Imagine if we all had to learn 7,000 characters. So, so that could be an unconscious bias. And he taught me the symbol for girl and boy. And that really was eye-opening because a lot of um, uh, Chinese symbols are pictorial. So... So I think it's um, I think it's incredible, but we've got an amazing female, haven't we? Coming, yes. who is female? So I'll, I'll let you that. introduce this. Yes, for we have. This is really exciting. So um, we have um, a, a, a woman from Somali, Somaliland, Edna Aden Ismail. Now she grew up in Somaliland in the 1950s and 60s, and she was inspired by her father, who was a doctor there. She's come a very long way since then. So she's been referred to as the Muslim Mother Teresa. She has been the first lady of Somaliland. She has been the first foreign, female foreign minister of Somaliland. But more than that, um, she has been defined by her fight to improve maternal health care in the country and her fight against FGM. Her ambition from the start, from when she was 14 or 15 and helping her father in the hospital, because there was so few qualified people to do that, was to build her own hospital and to try and change the face of maternity care in the country. And my goodness, she has succeeded in doing that. Her, her biography, her memoir is called A Woman of Firsts. It came out um, just very recently this year. It's an extraordinary book and she is an extraordinary woman. She went age 17 to the UK to train as a nurse after winning a scholarship to become one of the people who would help Somaliland after um, British um, colonial, after the, uh, it became uh, independent from, from being a colony. And she threw everything she could into education, into learning. It ties in actually beautifully into what um, we've learned from Ziad and Yusuf Said's book because she and her father had to fight for her to get an education because there was no education for girls at that time when she was growing up. So she, her father found a way to found a school for um, the for boys in the neighbourhood that she could sit in on. And through that, they suddenly discovered that she had learned to read and she was learning to write. And they found a way to send her to school in Djibouti. And from that, in her sheer determination, which comes through again and again in the book, there's a wonderful thing. She, she says in the prologue, education for girls was unavailable in case we dared to form any opinions or worse, voice them. And she had a grandmother who also taught me to be curious, offering me a choice between something I knew or something I didn't. I'd almost always opt for the thing I didn't know. I still do. <laughs> you can you can see that. And there's wonderful photographs in, in, in the middle of the book as well. There's one of her as third year as a student nurse in a West London hospital and her age 17 in London where she resided with Mr Rogers and his family. Bless her. I mean, what an adventure she went on. But what she has done to change the face of uh, healthcare in Somaliland. So her ambition right from the start was to build a hospital, and she has done that. So she um, has found a way, and she's almost built it brick by brick herself, she <laughs> describes, and she started building it at the age of 65. So that it took her that long to reach that, that part of her ambition. And they've delivered now more than 14,000 babies, 140,000 patients have been treated, and she has managed to equip this tiny country that is... Um, still um, in, in, in the grip of discussion over, over its identity and whether it's, you know, as, as, as a nation of its own, um, with some of the some exemplary health care and a phenomenal number of, of qualified, fully qualified trained midwives that are changing the way people deliver their babies. And I think midwives are such a key part of healthcare because you are often dealing with healthy people and healthy babies. It's not that... Um, 
that every 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 uh, delivery is is uh, you know a medical emergency. But having having that hospital, having trained midwives, having that whole that whole system of care is so important. Um, and I know that you were very keen to read a little bit from the beginning of the book, the prologue. Now, I want listeners, this is just a sort of a, an announcement beforehand. When you hear what Annabelle's going to read, you will be shocked, as I was when I heard it. But you have to stay listening because this is a woman of first and she had determination like no one I've ever read before. Thank goodness, because she has been able to open doors to make things happen through sheer grit and determination. So, Annabelle, over to you. And listeners, don't stop listening until Annabelle's finished. All or become m- clear. <laughs> over to you, Annabelle. This is Edna um, speaking in A Woman of Firsts. Come with me, I told the military director of Medina Hospital, seconds after bursting into his office unannounced. I need you to shoot a baby. I don't understand, he pleaded. Palms turned to the ceiling. Leaning across his desk and staring straight into his eyes, I told him, then let me explain. I haven't slept for the last three days. I've been caring for a premature baby in the only incubator I possess, a generous gift from a patient. I've been feeding this tiny infant through a pipette. She's a fighter and she's trying to stay alive, but the oxygen level on the incubator is running out. I sent a nurse to you twice this morning to ask for a replacement cylinder. Half an hour ago, it was returned unfilled with the message that we're using too much oxygen and putting your hospital in the red. I paused to watch him squirming in his seat. When the oxygen runs out in less than an hour, I continued, that little baby weighing less than a kilo will gasp painfully for her final breath as I watch helplessly with her mother. If you're really planning to murder this baby, then I must insist you come with me now and end it quickly. Then you can show the whole world how brave you really are. It all ends happily. It all ends happily. happily because, (laughs) Because he is just so shocked and... Um, I think basically so upset because he has not realised how his decisions are impacting on tiny, fragile lives. But who else would have had that courage yeah. to have yeah. said that and have shocked him into doing something? It they gives get, you an idea of what she had to work with. And the baby survives. Yeah. And and then this book, is it's a wonderful memoir. It's full of this sort of stories, but also moments when you, she distri- describes having um, driven in a car rally around the city because she loved to drive and the dancing she enjoyed when she was training in the UK and every experience that she took and every punch that she rolled with and how she fought back after her life, her marriage, her jobs, everything were destroyed, she found her way back again. Um, just to recap some of the books that we've spoken about on the show today, because we've talked about quite a bit. Um, we've spoken about Luke Jennings' codename Villanelle novels that were adapted to the Emmy-nominated TV series Killing Eve. Luke Jennings will be attending the festival next year. We've also spoken about Vox by Christina Dalcher, best-selling fiction thriller that imagines a world in which women are restricted to 100 words or less per day she will also be attending the festival next year we have also spoken about Ziadin Yusufzai's memoir Let Her Fly with a wonderful forward by Malala herself in there he and Tor Pakai Yusufzai will both be coming to the festival so you can hear them speak as well and the last book that we spoke about was A Woman of Firsts by Edna Adan Ismail and it's the story of the midwife who built a hospital and changed the world all of those fantastic people will be coming to the 
festival. Linwood Barclay, I think we mentioned as well earlier. We talked about Desert Stanzas, a couple of our special events. We have a vegan supper club with the wonderful Bosch duo, internet sensation of vegan cooking. And we spoke about the wonderful poets that will be coming to Desert Stanzas. Everything that we've spoken about, if you don't remember any of that, have no fear because emiratesliftfest.com is where you go to find out more information and to actually buy tickets. Um, We've had a question coming in saying, how can I find out about all the books that you're talking about? Because they're driving and unable to write it down. We understand that problem. I have it all the time as well. So the after the show, we will put a post up on the Dubai I 103.8 Facebook page that will be a recap of all of the books that we've spoken about today. Um, and it will also be available via the podcast page on Dubai I 103.8 FM's website as well. So you can catch up on anything that you missed. Um, so... I just think we need to return very briefly to Edna Adan Ismail because we talked a lot about her. But she's a phenomenal speaker herself and she's wonderful to listen to. She's often dubbed the um, Muslim Mother Teresa, I think. Um, and we spoke about one of the, the wonderful things that, that she did. Um, she's survived persecution. She survived civil war. But how did she become the person that we know and love today? Here she is talking about what led her there. And because I wanted to prove to all the uh, people who thought that sending me to school was not a good thing, that nothing good would come of it, I somehow became an unofficial uh, role model for educated girls or um, tried to prove to everybody that education was not going to do all the damage to me and, and dishonor my family as some had predicted it would. So there you go. Edna Adan Ismail talking there about how important education was to her and so many parallels there with Let Her Fly, the uh, Ziauddin Yusuf site memoir. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.